Today is Wednesday. It's November 21st, 2023, and it's 2.37 in the afternoon. Hi, it's John Williams, and this is the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thanks for finding us. Share us with your friends. Give us a good rating, won't you? And be sure to listen to my show weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Berg from the Illinois Policy Institute, and you can listen to my podcast, America's Talking. I'm Kate Plies, a former Chicago reporter, now um, running the strange website, Roseland Chicago 1972. I'm Brandon Pope, host of On the Block, powered by Block Club Chicago, and the Making Podcast from WBEZ. And I'm Eric Zorn, the proprietor of the Picayune Sentinel, and I'm live here in the studio with John Williams for the first time in three and a half years <clears throat> that we left the studio here uh, in March of 2020 in a panic and the podcast panel has never re- fully reconvened except on stage so it's really nice to nice yeah, we, to be back we used here. to do this all in one place and that was really fun everybody would make the effort to come down no small effort we always appreciated it and I would prefer that we do it that way but I, th- I think the world is used to Zoom sound and Zoom calls, and that's how we're doing this, right? I'm surprised how easy it was to transition into that mode, to have meetings and interview people over Zoom now. And I just, I I almost lose the idea that I'm not with them, that I'm I'm looking at them on the screen, I'm talking, and uh, it's it's surprising to me how effective Zoom is. And I think it's going to change our lives permanently. It already has going forward. I remember in that studio that I probably see everybody's face better in this format than I did in that studio because of the microphones. (laughs) Would be the whole. Yeah, the whole machinery, the microphone, everything would be in the way, and you're like, are they smiling? Are they laughing? Are they digging what I'm saying? What's what are the, what's the what's the the take there? Austin has to leave the podcast a little early today. He's got some business he needs to tend to. So let's just start today so that we can get your contribution, Austin, with things we're thankful for. And then we'll go on to horrible, terrible things about the world and politics. I thought about this for 10 seconds, but I think my answer is true. Uh, I'm very thankful for my new neighborhood of Lincoln Square. I've lived here for three months, and I feel like I live in... Did you guys ever read the Richard Scarry's Busy People children's books? Where <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, the cat is making the bagels, and the dog is the postman, <laughs> and the raccoon is the construction worker. It's like all very quaint and and nice and interesting, and I love... There's a great British pub called The Green Post that's here that I highly recommend to people. The Old Town School of Folk Music is here, which I know Eric is performing at with his annual uh, uh, performance there. And it's just an awesome neighborhood, and I'm very, very thankful for Chicago. There's so many amazing things about our city. There's so many amazing people here. The best jazz drummer in the world, I think, is performing in Chicago tomorrow night at Talia Hall. Uh, his name's Yusef Days, and that's just like a regular Wednesday in Chicago. And that's our city is amazing, and I'm thankful for it. Good start. How about you, Kate? I will say I am thankful. Um, I mean, all the obvious things, you know, health, family, family, blah, blah, blah. friends. Okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm thankful for all that, but I am thankful for having um, at least one holiday year that I have to host for the larger family because it keeps me honest it keeps i have to you know actually go around the house clean out the closet so that <laughs> don't see how insane they are i re- i just finished replacing three different latches on my kitchen cabinets that you can see behind me um that had broken replaced 
a toilet seat that wasn't really up for company anymore. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. when does that stuff get done if but, you don't have that kind of social pressure? Well put. Uh, I thought you were going to say Twitter, but maybe we'll get into that when we get to the more serious part of the conversation. That too, we can come back to that when it makes sense. Because uh, I'm thankful that I'm no longer on Twitter. And I'm amazed that you and Eric oh. are, are, are still ex-heads. So, oh, uh, we should totally talk about that. Yeah. How about you, Brandon? I'm still on Twitter loosely as well. Yeah, X, whatever it's called. I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for pumpkin praline cheesecake from Eli's. It's really good. Um, I'm thankful for weed being legal in Illinois. I enjoy that. <laughs> um, I'm, <laughs> I'm thankful that, you know, there's a nice sale on champagne going on at the liquor store near me. Very thankful for that. But most of all, I'm thankful uh, really just for the tribe of, of good people, uh, especially in the journalism community in this city. It's a it's a really great ecosystem, media ecosystem here in Chicago, very welcoming very encouraging. Um, I was warned before I moved to Chicago about seven years ago. Oh, watch out. It's cutthroat. Everyone's going to be every man for themselves. And uh, it's not been that way at all. It's been quite the opposite. And hmm. I'm, I'm really thankful to be able to be a part of it and be able to have great conversations with all of you and and keep doing what I love. So uh, that's what I'm thankful for. Yeah, everybody loves you, Brandon. That's the problem. If you were... <laughs> <laughs> Brandon was uh, he was the host of the of the what the some journalism association's annual banquet. There was like all these posters. CJ, Brandon yeah. Pope headlining the, uh, the show is kind of great. No, it's uh, so Brandon is <clears throat> thankful for food, weed, booze, and yeah. and the great journalism <laughs> so I, community. Well, we, we all we all have to say we're. I mean, you have to take care of health, family, mind altering substances. Yeah, we're all, yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. include it all. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I'm thankful. I'm thinking of thinking of the community you're talking about and also thinking about the old town school in lincoln square i'm really uh, particularly thankful for the robust and vibrant music community in chicago uh that i am uh, hanger on to and the, the the friends that i've made in that in that community and the opportunities that it gives me to to recreate and and play and sing and uh it's it's been a real it's a it's a wonderful town and every anytime i think about moving somewhere mm-hmm. I, think I would have to leave this incredible community of of friends and musicians and so it's not going to happen. I'm going to stay forever. I'll just double what all of you guys have said about family and friends. I guess we don't need to dwell on that. It's apparent or hopefully forefront for all of us. But we do have a granddaughter in my world. She's three, and she's going to get a sister after the first of the year. And uh, the white tornado has really just at every stage of her development just been another kind of joy, you know, watching her walk, watching her talk, watching her relate, watching her sass back. It's, you know, learn to kick a soccer ball. Everything is just, oh, my God. Like it's never been done before. But it's just so much fun. And the other thing that I'm really appreciative for, just of late, it's top of mind for me, is the people that take the time to write good books. And, you know, that includes a lot of journalists, of course. But I'm reading the Walter Isaacson book about Elon Musk. Don't love that guy so much. I'm reading the Barbara Streisand memoir, 950 pages. I'm really enjoying that. There's a book out I'm really enjoying called City on Mars, A Husband and Wife. He's a cartoonist. She's a biologist and they are writing about how ridiculous the idea is that we are any time in our lifetimes going to have a meaningful presence on another planet. And it's just kind of a reality check, but it's fascinating. It's a lot of fun. So those are some of the things that we're all thankful for. 
Former Alderman Ed Burke is on trial for being a Chicago City Councilman, essentially, and racketeering and bribery and extortion. There are 14 charges in all. Prosecutors this week presented evidence showing how Burke tried to, among other things, influence the Field Museum to give his goddaughter an internship there. This at a time when the museum was asking for a rate increase, something that Burke could have influenced negatively. Upset that the museum didn't consider a Molly Gabinsky for the slot, Burke's language was one museum official testified perceived as a threat. I think this is a great story in many ways. The bottom line, though, about the charges against him in this case could be seen this way. The museum did not give his goddaughter an internship. They did offer her a marketing job that she declined to take. And the museum did get the approval of its rate hike. So however awful or puny uh, the power is that Burke was trying to exercise, there was no exchange of favor for personal gain. He came across like a typical goon with an overinflated sense of self which is what so many people who have been born and raised in Chicago's political culture could be described as. And it was really interesting because you got to see how he acted when he didn't think anyone was watching. And the way he acted was to sort of berate and strong arm and uh, insult and be childish to someone at an institution that, dared not respond to his secretary's request to get someone an internship there, uh, someone's daughter who he served with in the city council. Yeah. Who My other favorite part of that story is I believe they then reached out to that person again, and she didn't even want the internship. They said, well, it wasn't that. They said, forget the internship. We'll give you a marketing job. And she said, no, I got something else. I'm good. Great. Yeah, exactly. So that, 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 uh, <laughs> that cultural sensibility – is so prevalent still and you saw it's not just with Burke. it's coming up through the next generation who describes himself as more progressive that was the same sort of thing you're seeing with a carlos ramirez rosa on the council floor right uh behind the doors behind closed doors he's treating people in that same kind of way uh and I, i would just hope at some point that um all of these people in watching ed Burke go down uh watching someone like carlos ramirez rosa go down would start to approach public service with a sense of humility uh, and self-awareness rather than using their office for their own self, their own self-interest. Even reasons. if their better angel doesn't guide them that way, at least the notion that everybody's listening and watching and wearing a wire now. I mean, maybe we can just badger them into a better version of themselves. Maybe technology will be the sort of ethical lever that they'll just pat down the people they're talking to (laughs) Uh, you know i I was not in the courtroom and so i can't judge how this is playing to the jury and i didn't hear much about the cross-examination but i gotta say this this museum thing it was heavy-handed it was entitled it was a little bit thuggish or goonish as austin put it um but i don't i don't know that a jury is going to convict him of being uh, on that particular charge extortion yeah because because it doesn't it it wasn't a specific ask and he didn't get what he wanted i'm not sure that it's going to result in a conviction i I can't see like saying you deserve to do jail time for that totally agree now there's some other 
elements in this case that are, I think are, are stronger as from what I read. But that's my that's just my take on, on having just read these stories about it as it just feels feels a little weak to me. Uh, if I'm a, if I'm a juror, I'm like, we're here for this. Uh, so Burke says, so now you're going to make a request of me after berating this um, Deborah Beckin, who retired in June as the director of governmental affairs and sponsored programs for the field. It was either to her or the museum president, but now they're trying to make amends. And he says, so now you're going to make a request of me. She says, well, I perceive that as a threat. This is the reporting from Heather Sharon. Beckin assured Beck she would get to the bottom of what happened, why this goddaughter did not get the internship. I never heard another word after my initial request. Okay. So now you're going to make a request of me? Well, uh, what I wanted to do was to... I'm sure I know what you want to do, because if the chairman of the Committee on Finance calls the president of the park board, your proposal is going to go nowhere. Yes, and we know this this uh, this issue is very important. Yes, it certainly is. It's been in the past, and you, if you read your your clips, I don't know where you were involved in government relations before, but this was a, a very sensitive matter a number of years ago. Yes, it was. It was absolutely. Um, and what did you do before you were doing government relations at the Field Museum? Um, I was working in uh, sponsor. I uh, follow up with Richard's office and especially with Richard's assistant and find out um, what went wrong. And, well, somebody better. Yep, and we will work on fixing it. We will definitely fix it. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So now you're going to make a request of me, he says, knowing full well what that means. You want the rate to go up at the museum. My goddaughter needs an internship. It's wrong, John, but I don't, I don't, I'm not sure it's going to result in the conviction. I don't know, I'll, I'll ask the jury of my peers here on this panel. What, do you think, is this, a, is this a jailable offense here? When I first started reading some of the things that Alderman Burke had said in these over 100 taped phone calls, I thought, oh, he's going down for sure, right? History is not on his side. Every alderman who ever goes to trial gets convicted. And they all think they're not guilty, obviously. What is it, four of the past seven governors all got convicted. I mean, so history's not on his side, and yet he is still using that defense. It's just politics. So I wasn't buying it. But now that I've listened to that entire phone call which anybody can listen to pretty easily via the Tribune website. If you go to their coverage, they've got the entire phone call at the bottom of the article. That's the easiest place that I saw for listening to the whole thing. And once I listened to it, I could see where they're coming from. He just sounded to me like a grouchy guy. I didn't really think he sounded goonish. I just thought he sounded like a grouchy, yeah, entitled, powerful executive. And that's his defense, too. And they go, hey, and you get to be grouchy and powerful. That's not a crime. Yes. You could be. You get yes. to be pissed off. That's okay. That's it. You know, when I, when I listened to it, I could understand how somebody could say he wasn't threatening. He was just in a bad mood, which yeah. is how his lawyer put it. Yeah. Which when I... When I read his lawyer said that, I was, I was like, oh, come on. But when I listened to it, it does sound like an off-the-top-of-his-head, irritating 
irritated thing that he said in the heat of the moment as opposed to a really thought out threat. And they also talked. Now, Deborah uh, Beckham, she did say that she perceived that as a threat. Yeah. But then they also put on the stand the president of the Field Museum. That's who Burke had directed the request to. Mm-hmm. And he thought they were like personal friends, you know, uh, by what the definition of personal friends that Ed Burke goes by, right? Anyway, the president of the Field Museum specifically said he did not feel threatened, that he did not think that Ed Burke had threatened to... He didn't think the rate increase was in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. I love the way you demonstrate your fealty or friendship, though. You buy his book and then ask him for an autograph. That's one of the things that the president of the field did, was make sure you buy the book and get him to sign it. And didn't one of the witnesses say that they were thinking about or they offered Burke... Uh, his own internship, his own bespoke internship, yeah, that, that, he, that he that he could dictate who got to be an intern. At the, I mean that, that that would have patched it up. And the other way, one of the other patches they thought was, I know. I mean, you could just see them in the room going, "What do we got to do to make this happy? We got to yeah, get the rate yeah. increase. How do we fix this?" And someone says, "I know. Let's say all the senior citizens in the 14th ward." get to go to the Field Museum for free. And so that was also one. And they go, no, no, that won't work. That won't work. Come up with another plan. It's like Monty Python. I'm really interested in the shakedown aspect with the Burger King. Yeah, that's I think that's a, yeah. The extortion yeah. stuff when it comes to that is where I think you may have the smoking gun. Everything else just seems a little a little weak. But the Burger King shakedown, what's alleged there, the testimony going on uh, as we speak right now, it, it looks pretty icky. It he wanted the business for their tax appeals. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the, the shakedowns of Burger Kings, that's a spotty one. Overall, though, it, it's not a case I've been following, to be honest, because I don't expect much to come of it. Ed Burke, we all know he's grimy. It'd be like that. That's Chicago politics. I mean, just another... Chicago politician involved in corruption and on to the next one and the next one. Uh, but the fact that there are more cases bubbling up and there's more focus and pressure heating up, it could be a good thing for watchdogs out there. So, I'll, you know, we'll see what comes of it. But I think the Burger King extortion aspect that they're talking about today, that's really the big one. The biggest highlight of this case for me was the therapy dogs of the judge. Uh, pooping on the floor. You guys hear about that? <laughs> yeah, that was. That I was, saw the artist sketch. The you know they have a, a a courtroom artist sketching, and there's the dog with this look on his face, like, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> my bad." <laughs> uh, that was have, the best courtroom sketch I've ever seen. I know. Yeah. I thought, wow. Yeah. I, I bet the the, the the whoever the artist was just thought, wow. I get to draw a dog, a dog that just took a dump. <laughs> On the whole system, which that dog is all of us, maybe. Yeah. I had the same thought of like if they're just uh, everything else is beautifully rendered, and the dog is like one of those stick people because they have you know, <laughs> never had to do one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would just push back a little bit on what Brandon just said. First, that it's not just that Ed Burke is grimy. I think he's a lot more than that. I mean, he really is the last classic machine politician that we're going to see on trial. I can't believe there's there's just not going to be another one. There, he was the last one operating, right? So there really can't be another one. So I I think there's going to be a lot of fascinating aspects to it. And the Burger King one could also still play to his side of the case because they got their driveway permit. And they never capitulated. They never hired his law firm. So it still plays to his his story. Look, I I, I didn't extort them. Yeah. They got their driveway permit. 
I didn't get any business out of it. Isn't that, isn't that the Bogoyevich defense, though? Isn't that, that I was what, about to say, yeah, he didn't get anything like, for, I, I didn't, value I didn't, for what he was offering. Yeah, right. I never, I never took anything. I ended up appointing Roland Burris to the Senate for nothing. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, but but that didn't work. It's it's. Uh, I, I mean, it's a good it's a good point because that's certainly the argument in the opening arguments mm-hmm. or the opening statements from Burke's attorneys, which is like, hey, he never did anything that he never got anything for what he did and that's the definition of corruption which is not exactly true but Simone, well so, but do you guys think that at least but, there's some value like maybe maybe there's some punishment and the exposure like is this a miserable enough experience for Ed and Ann Burke that this at least satisfies some people's desire for justice okay we can't win on this but damn it we're going to show the world how this thing works probably for someone like burke who styles themselves as sort of like you know the all-seeing statesman of chicago the fact that they are having their personal dirty laundry aired for all to see is a personal punishment for him ultimately even if he didn't you can't tie him receiving value uh to some of these shakedowns the fact is that they are shakedowns and even if he was really pleasant and nice in a phone call with the field museum saying why didn't uh just inquiring you know why didn't my the person i wanted to get an internship get an internship um just just curious wanted to know about your process Anyway, um, and you had a request of me, (laughs) or, you know, like, instead of the old main post office, it's like, did we land the tuna, which is very colorful and funny Chicago-y language, which will go down in history. But it's like, it's, the language is kind of the, the sizzle. The actual stake is that the guy had a property tax appeals business and would trade on his influence as a city council member all the time to get business. I would hope that there would be some consequences for that. So did we land the tuna we'll live with? I've got this thing and it's golden as I one, hope. Of, one of the great. That's colorful. I like it. But, that's, but to me, that's the value of this, too. Austin, I'll let you click out here on this. Maybe I'll give you the last word and then the gang can comment on it, too. But I'm just glad to see the exposure. I'm glad to know. I'm sorry to know, but I'm also glad that I do know that this is how it worked and and maybe still is there there's value in that even without a conviction yes uh yeah my my final word on that is essentially that um well those sorts of things are very uh those capture the public imagination uh the important point is that the structures that we have set up in place have not changed yeah thus those things are being said now there is someone last week said something as crazy as did we land the tuna because they are an alderman with the the uh, the ultimate authority over every single brick that's moved in their ward. It's happening right now. And so our anger should be directed towards a change in that system uh, in addition to everybody realizing and, and uh, shaming Alderman Ed Burke. You have a good Thanksgiving, Austin Burke, and our best have to your bride. And, uh, enjoy your new neighborhood. Thank you. Okay. Austin had to click out. By the way, Kate, what do you think of my observation that at least there's some, if not justice or punishment, value in this process? At least we, like Austin said, at least ought to be aware of the fact that this is how how the sausage gets made. I think there is. There is. I don't think that's why they chose to do the prosecution, because I'm sure yeah. that the prosecutor's office, yeah, would never spend the, the money and time to uh, to do it just like for a show trial that they didn't think they could win. Obviously, it's true, yeah, that he was trying to get things from these various places. 
in exchange for his influence. The question is whether or not they can absolutely get that past the jury or whether lines like, um, no, the cash register hasn't rung yet. That's another one that's got to go down. Yeah, right? no kidding. That is nice. Yeah. That's a nice oh, that turn a of a phrase. One. The question is whether or not they can actually make those lines, um, whether they can sell them or whether once you put them into context, like with the Field Museum um, phone call, if they kind of fall flat. You know, kind of like when you've got a movie review that's got a bunch of, you know, uh, short phrases from different reviews that make the movie sound like it was amazing. But then if you looked at the whole review, like maybe they just like one actor in it or one aspect. Dazzling. Of it. Right, right. It could be a tough road to hoe for, for these prosecutors. Well, while George Ryan was on trial for his corrupt acts, and these were being exposed in lots of news stories and my columns, everybody else's columns running out. Rod Blagojevich was <clears throat> going about his merry, corrupt way. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, it's like the yeah. idea that there's value in this or that, or that anything changes or that there's any education by the part of these elected officials. It seems to be just a, a pipe dream that you, you, you'd love it if you thought like, well, boy, no one's ever going to be like Ed Burke again. No one's ever going to try to squeeze a... Uh, citizen for their business and their, their on their side hustle from being an alderman. I, I, I mean, you know, as Austin said, it's happening right now, almost for sure. Uh, they're maybe trying to yeah. be a little bit more subtle. The other point, though, that Kate made, which is is not to be forgotten, which is that the the conviction rate in the Dirksen Federal Courthouse is astoundingly high. They don't lose cases over there. I mean, very, very seldom. I mean, once in a while they do, but it's it's somewhere around ninety five percent of the time they get their convictions. They they uh, they nail down their cases. They are, are a very good office. Always have been. So Burke is really rolling a twelve sided dice and hoping it comes up. Uh, two or something here because it's uh, it's a real risk for him and and yeah. I, I would be surprised if he's acquitted on all charges. I wouldn't be surprised if he's acquitted, like I said, on the on the museum thing. It it's just sounds a little thin, but it might be just kind of setting the scene. Yeah, I was just, just thinking like, of that. well, yeah, this isn't a crime, but it certainly shows his character. It shows that he's willing to use his power in an in a way that's unorthodox it's wrong it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like it rises to the level of criminality like i'm going to shut your museum down if you don't do this or you'll never get a rate hike again it's it's all a little bit of innuendo um maybe and maybe what they did was they gave the jury something that they could say well let's we're fair people we'll we'll acquit him on this and we'll convict (laughs) him on i I mean i I don't i think prosecutors uh, have been known to do that as well and the add a value actually what it it may simply be because i don't think it deters any other politicians there's definitely there's no deterrence effect on the politicians but but the value uh can kind of be like what austin was saying that it shows you that regardless of the guardrails that we put in place so far this stuff is still going on right now so it is a good impetus to continue tightening up the ethics rules i mean in 1998 the ethics rule that they passed then which plugged a lot of holes was pretty much an Ed Burke ethics rule. I mean, it was all about him. It was all because of his ridiculous law firm and his tax appeals. Um, and and it helped a little bit. But you basically just have to keep plugging away at it just constantly. You could just never stand still because every, every little thing that you do to the ex- ethics rules, um, uh, they're just finding a new way around it. So it's like it, it needs to be an ongoing process and we need to see that it has to be an ongoing process. 
Well, and that's really one of the drums that Austin bangs on all the time. That uh, you know, his book about the Chicago Way and uh, t- talks a lot about how the ethics rules here, the structure of the council, the structure of government are, are all out of out of line with mm-hmm. what goes on in successful big cities elsewhere. I uh, thought he was going to throw the mayor, the new mayor, under the bus then because he said it's just a progressive version of what we've seen in the past. I thought he was going to say that, you know, Mayor Johnson is not exactly above using the power of his office to win favors or influence people in ways that we might not champion. I I don't know that that's fair yet to say. I mean, he was trying. Certainly, uh, his his floor leader was I guess. was attempting to Some use guilt the power by association there. But that was that was in order to affect legislation that Johnson. It wasn't like you know we want a scholarship for Brandon Johnson's kids or something like that. I mean, I, I don't think I I, I didn't think yeah. it was corrupt. So just, you have more respect for them if they're using undue influence, at least for a cause rather than a kid. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, I mean. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I I do. I mean, I mean, he was he was trying. He was. I mean, in the, in the case of the of the um, the noise ordinance uh, thing, where where he was he was um, or not the noise ordinance, where he was trying to get the, the alderman who wanted the the homeless encampment moved, and then his his uh, pe- people his his. Uh, Number two guy, Jason Lee, was telling the alderman, you know, no, you you got to vote for our our legislation if you want us to move the homeless encampment. There are two the, things. The, the, that's I mean, I, I don't I don't like it. It's it's bad. It's bad politics. It's not corruption in the same way we think of like you got to vote for the you know, you, yeah. you know you, you, we'll move your homeless encampment if you give. Like I say, fifty thousand dollars to the uh, Brandon Johnson's Children's Scholarship Fund or something like that. I mean, it it, it doesn't rise to that level of personal enrichment. Brandon, are you surprised? I don't know if I asked you this last week of the mayor's unpopularity that the Illinois Policy Institute came out with that report on Mayor Johnson's approval rating, and it was in the 20s. Did that surprise you? I am skeptical of that poll because of where it came from, but it's not necessarily that surprising because at this point, there's not a lot going for him. The migrant situation is... Oof, it's a doozy. I'm not sure anyone has the best exact answer for it. And he came in at a time where that's the big barreling issue right now. Yeah. It looks like there's finally some sort of plan here. But you have people in sense in their own communities, whether it's north side communities, west side or south side communities about this very issue. Even people that voted enthusiastically for Brandon Johnson. So I'm not surprised at all that this early on. His approval rating may not be too high, given that huge issue that's on the minds of so many Chicagoans. Uh, but it's still early, so we, we got to see how it plays out. I think that transparency has been a big flaw of this administration. Uh, I think communication has been a big flaw of this administration. And I think when it comes to the migrant situation, it's really shown up. Even with, with aldermen in their own ward about whether a shelter is going to be landing in their neighborhood or not. You think they have the right to know ahead of time Hey, this is happening. And you have Alderman saying, we didn't get a heads up at all. Right. So those issues come to a head and that sprinkles into the forefront. I don't think that poll is exactly that. That number is a little. Well, I'll tell Austin you said hi next time I see him. Uh, Is is uncollaborative. I noticed you waited for him to leave to say that. Look, I'd say it with a mirror, too. I I did read somebody uh, on social media was saying that that they looked deep into the bowels of that poll and they saw that that homeowners were 
overrepresented, that there were something like 52% of the people they talked to for the poll oh, were homeowners, and that uh-huh. you know something like 27% of people in Chicago were homeowners, and that being a homeowner may change your politics a little bit. I don't know how valid that is. I think that this polling institution has a decent record uh, for accuracy, and the results were not all that surprising to me. I mean, it's it's been a, a rough, rocky year for Johnson, and the migrant challenge is, is, is huge, as you pointed out, Brandon. Well, do you or does anybody on the panel here know if the new plan starting yesterday or today is they've got – any migrant here has 60 days to vacate – their current place they're living, right? What I'm wondering is, are they vacating the police department offices or shelters or the airports, or do they only have 60 days to stay in a tent? I mean, where are they vacating from and where are they going to? I'm pretty sure I understood it uh, to mean once they actually get placed in a shelter as opposed to on the floor of a police station. Yeah. Once they get placed in a real shelter, is when the countdown starts. Okay, but then and then what? So say you're lucky enough to get a place this month. That means uh, February 1st, when the average temperature is going to be 22 degrees, you can't live in the tent anymore. What does that Venezuelan do now? I mean, my, my guess is that they don't really believe that a bunch of people are just going to get up and leave after 60 days. I don't think they can possibly really believe that. I mean, there were some strange quotes from but one of the people very involved in the process who was saying, you know, if, if you're a migrant, you've worked real hard to get here and, and you've basically got the get up and go, you're going to figure something out. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> These are people who can't speak the language and don't have a penny. They're, they're not going to just figure something out. Technically, they're supposed to be able to get up and go back to what they're calling the landing place, um, where migrants are first supposed to come and just start the whole process over again. Maybe go sleep in the police station again before maybe getting back into a shelter. That's okay, what Th- that sounds like a bad idea. That sounds like a bad plan. But but we, we don't even know for sure if that's the plan. Well, that's how they're saying it would work. I mean, but that's I, crazy. What I would think is that they're just trying to put out there the the theory in people's heads that this is not permanent. I think they just want to make that something that people yeah. understand that it's not permanent, just kind of change the mindset there. I think that's all they're really hoping to do uh, and buy some time. Yeah, I think I think they're trying to instill a sense of urgency in people who are in these shelters like if you especially if you have a work permit You've got to be out there trying to get a job. You've got to be out there trying to look for a place to live. And I believe that that uh, if you show them, and, and and the question of what they do after sixty days is one that the administration has not really adequately answered. But if if you can show that you're making progress on finding housing, then they allow you to stay. And and there is there is a sense that they're not going to just be like, okay, out in the cold you go. But it just it's it's a way of, of trying to to let people know that this is important for you to don't don't get comfortable here that this can't last and as a as a message to to send to people who are in these shelters like hey you know get your act together let's go 
that's a good message as long as getting their act, your act together, their resources and their jobs and their houses, their places for you to go. Well, the state, uh, the governor did say last week that they do have what he called wraparound services. So the state does have counselors and advisors to do some of those things, the paperwork, the process, get them into jobs for one thing. And then maybe with income apartments. I'm not exactly sure where these people are going to live, but the state does seem to be embracing the responsibility of of helping some of that. I, I haven't seen a joint press conference with the city and state. It all sounds very ad hoc to me. And the idea that you would recycle them back after 60 days to the police stations and then say, okay, reset is is not a plan. I like a timeline. I like a sense of urgency. And if these people can be employed. Let's go. Let's kick them in the butt a little bit. I mean, you know, they've landed here and we treat them like kittens that have no means of finding their way in the woods. And I'm like, these are adults. They've had children. They were part of an economy in Venezuela that's failed them and now they've come here. So get with the program, guys. Here's here's what you you have to do. Well, as, as long as they can work, as long as you can give them work permits and things like that. Yes, I, I, I see that. But if, if you can't, if you say go out and get a job and they say, but I don't have a work permit, you're asking more than than they can do. I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, John, but but uh, I mean, if you think these people are just lazy and sitting around hoping that the city's going to take care of them, I don't think that that's the case. I you don't. Know? If I sound it that way, I don't mean to describe them as lazy. But if I say not actualized, whatever that means, at some point they need to take response. You and I have kind of had this conversation before on this podcast. When are those human beings going to take responsibility for their own actions? They're the ones that left Venezuela. They're the ones that found themselves on a bus to Chicago. They keep moving along to what end? And when are they going to say, okay, now I'm going to be the decider of my uh, of my circumstances? That may sound uncharitable, but they are adult human beings here. So what are what's your plan now, guy, gal? What 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 do you expect to happen next? It might also be a way of putting more pressure uh, on the feds to issue these work permits, because as far as I know, there's no guarantee that everybody is still getting. You know, everyone who's still here is and coming still coming are yeah. getting work permits they issued some and the deadline for who could get them has already lapsed people who yeah it's already over with so it's a little unclear to me um how these people are are necessarily all getting jobs but it, it, there might be a way of, of of putting pressure on the the feds to do that i'm in favor of the underground undocumented economy there's plenty of people doing that already have you had a landscaper did somebody work on your house your lawn your nails your hair any service i wonder what percentage of them in the chicagoland area are here without authentic or proper documentation i'm being only a little flip but i mean there will be people that will be willing to employ them. We're already doing that. Yeah, they're vulnerable. Oh, sure. Those are, it's a very vulnerable working population, I don't, too, if, right. if, they don't, if they don't have yeah. legal protection. Because yeah. they can't yeah. go. If you, if you stiff them and don't pay them, or if you pay them five injured. bucks an hour, they, they get do? injured, then there's, there's, they have no recourse. So, yeah, all right, so, I take that back. Okay. I do, I'll, I'll edit it, that it, out of the it, it can't be the plan. It can't be the plan. Yeah, I, well, that's – yeah, that's, that's – uh, um, I wonder what Brandon's solution is to all this. Yeah, well, I know, because he's <laughs> – because I get the feeling Brandon – Brandon is um, wants us to cut the mayor and the administration more slack. Uh, no, I don't think it's about slack. I just I, I do think it's a it's a situation where everyone it's easy to Monday morning quarterback it. 
but when you're actually dealing with it and dealing with the people, it's a little more complicated. I don't think there's a perfect solution here uh, on a local level. Um, I think the, the the bill really comes due for the federal government. And it, it, what it really comes down to is we've had a border issue for a long time here in this country, and Congress has to act, and they haven't. So um, it's impacting local cities at this point. The, the border town is more than a border town issue now. It's a... It's an every town issue, and so uh, we got to figure out a way to hold legislators on Capitol Hill accountable um, and get solutions here and get more dollars because it's not a solution Brandon Johnson's going to be able to come up with alone, um, nor Governor Pritzker. Um, um, And I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, Brandon Johnson has not done a good job communicating on this whole thing, but he cannot solve this. It's impossible. Um, to me, the main thing that I would criticize and in, in how he's dealt with it is simply that I think a gigantic part of the focus from the very beginning should have been, we can't solve this. The federal government has got to help distribute these migrants and take care of them, as well as starting to control the border better. It's an absolutely losing proposition for him. Nobody could handle this. So, uh, of course he can't. Nobody could. Well, would you say that it is somewhat similar to the absence of a plan, or if there is a plan, then the absence of good communication of the plan, the mansion title transfer tax, that money to bring Chicago home, to help the poor, the homeless in Chicago, we're going to put a burdensome tax on people whose properties sell for more than a million or a million and a half dollars. It's going to go up a lot. But the idea was that was going to generate money. And with that, then we'll help the homeless problem in Chicago. And this is um, an idea that's just, it's a baby, this idea. But my colleague here, David Hochberg, was on the radio with us today, and he was reminding us of how much money has already been allocated, how little seems to be done with the homeless situation, and now we're generating tens of millions of dollars more to what end? How are they going to spend that money? How is that going to fix the problem? And the pushback is, if I knew that that was going to fix things, if I knew you had a concrete problem and here's how the money's going to be spent, and it's going to, maybe, maybe there'd be more buy-in. But right now, people don't see a plan, don't know if there is one, and they do know it's going to cost people a lot more money to transfer the title when they sell or buy a home. So what's the plan again? How many? This is the refrain. And if you have one, why don't you tell us what it is? That's definitely my problem with the Bring Chicago Home that makes me think, I don't know how I'll vote on it, because I love the idea of a dedicated <laughs> revenue stream on that. But I don't know the exact amount that we're currently spending, but we all know it's a lot and it's not solving the problem now. So if you don't tell me what's going to be different right. with this, exactly what it's going to be used for. $100 million. It definitely uh, takes the wind out of my sails. If nothing else, I want to know you're not going to approach this the way San Francisco is approaching their homeless problem. Or Los Angeles. You see, it's not working there in L.A., Story in the Tribune today, I think it was today, said that in Los Angeles, what has happened as a result of a similar sort of program is it's cut the sales of high-end homes. People now looking at the consequences of that either have to price the house below the threshold or they're just not going to sell the house while the, while, while the cost is so great to transfer the title from the seller to the buyer. It's, it's, it, and as a result, 
it's not generated the revenue. So you can say, okay, we're going to vote for it. Too bad for you rich guys with the mansions, but now you're going to have to pay. And in fact, no money comes in because the people just fold their arms and say, then I won't sell or I can't sell because the the cost is too great. In all fairness, the city has said that they've learned from the mistakes Los Angeles made. They've tweaked their plan and that mm-hmm. it'll get around some of those problems that they saw in L.A., I don't know what those are. And I think the fear is that these costs, they will immediately be borne by the property transfer people, uh, you know, the, the people, the buyers and sellers, that because it's a lot of this is going to be commercial real estate, that the, that the net cost of this uh, will go to tenants. to tenants, to customers, yeah. that, that people aren't going to just gladly eat that cost. They're going to pass it along. Dancing bears are a great thing to see if you're going to the circus. But not so much if they're three and eight and haven't won a division game in over two years. Sunday, as the Messers of the Midway were on their way to what looked like a major upset over the Detroit Lions, quarterback Justin Fields and members of the defensive unit danced and celebrated after big plays. It all came crashing down at the end as the Lions scored three times in the final quarter, two TDs, a two-point conversion, a gift safety. The exclusivity of the collapse kept the stats geeks busy. Basically, not since the great Chicago fire has there been such an utter self-inflicted destruction. And you know what people were complaining about on my show and uh, Ed Obradovich and Dan Hampton, the Hall of Famers on our radio station? The dancing! I'll tell you what. This, this goes to these bear players. You guys with your dancing, you make an interception. You run all the way down to the other end zone and you start dancing. You get another interception, you run down. Somebody makes a tackle, they run around. Can you guys stop dancing around and concentrate on the game on first down, second down, third down, and fourth down? Cover punts, cover receivers, make tackles, and when you make a run over 10 yards, don't get up and start dancing. Well, and certain teams, they don't do it, but, you know... This team does it. 25 of the teams, most of them losers, they... they more worried about celebrating their individual accomplishment rather than the big picture of the team being able to win. They and think it they comes ha- back and haunts you. When we have a losing record and we lost the game. I'm not real knowledgeable on this, but can I ask those two guys you just talked about, yeah. Ed Radovich, Dan, 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 Dan Hampton, yeah. um, are they guys who in general, because they're kind of old school, maybe in general they don't like to see people dancing <laughs> Right? Because that used to be a thing that you shouldn't be showing off, right? Yeah. But they see a flag. We all love it now. It's hilarious. It's fun. It energizes everybody. We all love it. The old school guys, though, they might still be a little down on it. I'm just wondering, those guys, what's their general yeah, attitude? Yeah, I mean, you could get a team that's behind by three touchdowns, and they get an interception, and they all run into the end zone and do some, like, rowing a boat, a uh, little skit that they've worked yeah, out. Yeah. Um, and and the NFL used to really frown on that. I remember they, they find some guy for – for pulling a sharpie out of his sock and pretending to autograph a ball or something—I I mean, was and, was this was <laughs> this was like they were like when you when you do something good, just you know, a little high five. That's what you do, <laughs> and that was old school. That's now, the NFL, no fun league. But now, yeah, but now it's like it, it, the people are celebrating. So when I mean, I think the thing people are talking about is Justin Fields uh, in the fourth quarter. He ran for what thirty some yards. He had a great play. He's, he's uh, eluded the rush and he ran and he got a first down, unlikely first down, and he he gets up. Up and he does the first down gesture and he does he wiggles his hips a little bit 
And that's that's the NFL, and and it doesn't matter whether you're ahead or behind. At the time, they were two touchdowns ahead or something. I mean, they, they there's were, no way we could have lost that way, game. They were way ahead. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I'm just I, like, do they expect people to just lower their heads in in despair if they have a losing record? <laughs> like, what what do you expect them to do? Like, honestly, this is the problem Major League Baseball is having. Major League Baseball is a no fun league. They frown upon bat flipping. They frown upon players having any expression. You just got to do a gentlemanly clap. Yeah, just gentlemanly clap. And that's why the sport's dying. No one's watching it. Whereas the NFL and NBA, players have personalities. Let's let them use it. They're the big selling point to the league. And, of course, they should be happy if they score. If you're the Bears, it's more than just like your record. A lot of this for these guys, it's their livelihood. There's guys who they're playing for an opportunity next season. They're playing for a contract. They're playing to put food on the table. So, of course, they're happy if they score a touchdown. It may be their first one and maybe maybe only one of their career. So I, I say everyone needs to let off on these guys. Obviously, that's the stance I'm going to take. I see no, no issue with it. The biggest issue is the NFL deciding that you know they don't want people to celebrate yet when you go through the nfl's instagram and twitter what do you see them posting and oh yeah well and the network that broadcasts the game whichever it is say fox they're part and parcel they're partners with the nfl the camera's on the players doing the dance that choreographed thing they could cut to the coach and the fans or the replay but no they showcase that so i don't think the nfl minds it as much as some of the fans who, you know what they say in Chicago, Walter Payton used to hand the ball back to the official and then walk back like he's been there before. Brandon, your witness. <laughs> so, yeah, that was also a time before vertical passing was really. <laughs> <laughs> and changed, then they guys. invented the forward pass. Yeah, okay, fine, <laughs> fine. But Kate is right. I mean, this is a very old school, get off my lawn, okay, boomer take, right? You know, you don't need to. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, 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 and these are young men whose careers won't last three years on average. My son, who's 30, said to me, you have no idea what it's like to be in such an exhilarating moment. 60,000 people cheering in a stadium and or booing in a stadium, say, and you're on national television and you scored a touchdown against the best athletes in the world. How exciting must that be, right? Mm-hmm. I think the choreography is where some of us get off the bus, though, where it does look a little – it's not even clever anymore. The, the, the one last observation I have about this is that it, it does, though, seem as though your achievement is greater than the team's. Right, so okay, at least I got a touchdown. Our team's lousy, but I am so happy. And no, you should be wishing that your te- team was better, and maybe at least celebrate after the game. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very boomer take because I just I don't see how celebrating hurts anybody. You know, if you're a losing team, you need something to celebrate. Well, you know what well, they did though, Brandon too was they, but and our our old, all of us old farts on the radio were attributing it to that's one of the reasons they lost. They took their eye off the ball. They weren't focused. No, they lost because they're a terrible team. <laughs> they, 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 they lost because they ran the, they ran yeah, the ball into, they ran the ball into the line Three twice. T- well, yeah, and then they threw a freaking bomb rather than just like yeah. trying to get one first down would have won that game anyway bad coaching maybe they should have stole some signs who knows well you know as as a as a as a native michigander i've i've kind of transferred my allegiance this season only to the lions because they're a winning team and they might they might go all the way and the bears are going nowhere And, and the more the bears lose the better they have a chance of being good next year 
<clears throat> probably under coach Jim Harbaugh after Michigan fires him. But Brandon and I can be friends again next week after the uh, end of the Michigan-Ohio State. Yeah, that's a big uh, game coming up here. Number <laughs> now, what is it? What Ohio State is now two and Michigan's three and, yeah, and like not that. three and two. The winner of that will cement the I think the for sure, because for... They, they have to go and play Iowa. The winner of that game has to go play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis the week after. It, it's a it's a luck. Whoever whoever wins this game wins the Big Ten. I mean, well, Iowa ain't going to beat either of these teams. Hey, on any given Saturday, Brandon, that's going to happen. <laughs> I'll do respect to the Hawkeyes. But. Yeah. Okay, enough about football, for which I think we could all say we are thankful for, love it or hate it. It's a great time of year. Um, but when we started the podcast today, we talked about things we were thankful for. And I noticed, Kate, that in the doc that we all were chatting on before the podcast, you said you were thankful for Twitter. Is that right? I did say that. I Explain did say yourself. That. I, I had a, or I had originally been thinking uh, about being forced to clean up my house. But then when I was writing that for you guys, I thought, you know, Twitter is what I'm thankful. It's one, it is one of the things I'm thankful for. Um, I thought about it this morning when I was reading um, Eric's Tuesday Substack newsletter because um, one of his commenters was unhappy that he directed everybody to look at a Twitter thread by Mark Jacobson, I guess, last week. Jacob, yeah, Mark Jacob, yeah. I'm sorry, Mark Jacob, from uh, um, apparently uh, a long thread about how he just finished rereading um, The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. And I'm sure that is very interesting, and I'm going to go look for it now. Uh, but Eric's commenter was was like, hey, we're not all on Twitter. We can't go look at it. And my my original thought was, people should know you don't have to have a Twitter account to just go to Twitter.com and type in the you know the search box the name of someone who you find interesting whose opinion you 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 value and see what they're talking about because i find that incredibly incredibly helpful um on any number of issues um now that said i'm not somebody who ever comments about politics on twitter i mean my my website is about a serialized novel in chicago history and including a lot of Chicago architecture. And so what I'm usually chatting with people about is Chicago history and Chicago architecture. So I don't get a lot of people piling on me and canceling me. I feel sorry for people who do talk about that kind of stuff. But you know what? I go and look at their Twitter accounts because I'm very interested in seeing the full spectrum of discussions on everything from you know Israel and Palestine to you know, migrant issues, whatever. I just find it super, super valuable. So I'll really be sorry if Elon Musk manages to completely destroy it because it's such a such a handy thing. That's what it is. It's a handy tool, but yeah. but I don't like the guy whose whose tool it is and who stands to profit from my use of it. So I I got off of Twitter. But Eric, you think more like Kate, don't you? I do. I, I really enjoy reading. I follow a bunch of Chicago journalists on Twitter, and, and I follow some people who I think are pretty funny. I follow them, too, in a separate, in a separate feed. And I don't get the anti-Semitism that a lot of people are seeing on Twitter now. I don't get all the, the white supremacy and all that stuff. It, it's all somewhere else as far as I'm concerned. I read about what Elon Musk is liking. I think Elon Musk is a very, very 
problematic figure. I don't like supporting him, but I think he's losing money like crazy on Twitter already. So I don't feel like I'm boosting his bottom line by by reading it. If any other service comes along that begins to replicate it, and, and Blue Sky and Threads are, are services that I'm, I've joined, but so far they're just nothing like Twitter. That if you want to follow, say, <clears throat> say the trial we talked about earlier of, of Burke, you know, Jason Meisner's over there from the Tribune live tweeting it and you can just you can just follow it and there are other reporters too who follow these he's not live threading it i I don't think so. i haven't seen i'm on threads and it's 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 a pale comparison tumbleweeds uh, are usually running through threads threads when i go over there but but uh, so twitter is still valuable for for that and I, i still read it every day i still find things in there every day that i didn't know about and and uh, I am re- repulsed by the way they have, have taken off the, any guide rails that they have for <clears throat> hate speech. But I still think that it's a valuable service, and I'm going to stay with it until you, it becomes too toxic. Listen to you. Well, when, when is that going to happen? What is it going to take for Elon Musk to say or do or endorse or allow that would finally cause you to go, wow, I can't be part of this anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I'm a, I am a hard free speecher. That's a crappy that's thing of, for me to say to you. One of the things that I will look at on Twitter is uh, free speech people, what they're, what they're saying, pro <laughs> and anti-free speech people, because uh, that's kind of the important part to me is to, to look at um, people that I think I agree with, but also, you know, the full, the full spectrum, because it, it is important. It's super important to know what people who disagree with you are saying what their exact arguments yeah. are. Yeah, I agree with that. There, there is a problem with with disinformation and and, and you know f- lies that people are putting out. Conspiracy theories. There's a the whole thing about the uh, the other day the Jews caused 9/11 and they were, and that wasn't taken down. I'm thinking, well, that's just that is irresponsibly amplifying a whack job theory. And that was never taken down. I don't think so. Twitter just become a place where misinformation at this point just there there was always misinformation on Twitter. But now the guardrails for it are just off the rails at this point. So that it 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 makes it tough to really utilize it for what it was supposed to be used for. I see what's happening with the Israel um, and, and, and Palestine situation and the amount of misinformation spreading on that is just. It's and how it gets spread so quickly. I'm scared what Twitter's implications are going to be for our elections going forward. If it's still allowed to be a thing, if Elon still has this power, uh, he's not responsible with it. I still use Twitter for sports. I love NBA Twitter. I love NFL Twitter. I love nerd Twitter. But when it comes to news and what it really should be utilized for, a, a community square. It's losing all its value, and I don't know what's going to replace it, which mm-hmm. really scares me. You know? Chicago, I'll speak up also for Chicago journalism Twitter. I, I follow yep. reporters at all, at all the major publications, Block Club, Tribune, Sun-Times, Cranes, all of them, and I get a really good sense of what's going on right now all day. And you know, and, and, there's, and that feed that I have, I've, it's a curated list, is not polluted by crap. And, so, and as long as that's the case... I can use Twitter and I can feel like I'm, it's not, I'm not <clears throat> being fed 
misinformation and and hate speech. So. Well, I'll call out my own hypocrisy here because I'm above the fray, right? I'm not going to be part of that. Well, that's because Eric and Pete are, so they just give me the tweets. So I'm not <laughs> I, I'm I'm not fully insulated from the value of the thing mm. because I'm able to tap the resource that it is from other people. Brandon, what bothers me? You were saying about the misinformation. I'm not sure what I, I think. The reason I signed off. Because I always thought I was able to sort the crap from the the truth, but it's the hate, it's the the Nazi stuff, it's the the anti-Semitic stuff, it's it's some of that other stuff that it doesn't need to be true or not true. It's just awful, and I'm thinking ah, and 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 it's it for me. I think it's also just become a personal thing. I think I dislike Elon Musk enough that I've just decided, even if it was 100 percent true, I don't want to give him my money. And, and somehow or another, I am when I'm on the platform. But you can see how conflicted I am because I see the value mm-hmm. in it that Eric describes and Kate describes. But uh, I'm just able to ask other people to tell me what's going on out there. He's so I, losing so much money on this, John. If anything, you no. can help him lose more money by keeping it going, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to look wow. at it. That is yeah. a great way to look at it. That is such a nice uh, yeah, if it, if justification. It, if it goes under, then he'll, he'll cut his losses. But if but if he, if he keeps trying to hang on, trying to fix it, he'll lose more money. Excellent. There you go. Well, don't, give so, him, don't give him any tax write-offs. I'm thankful for Kate Plies. Give giving me that idea to giving me that excuse to stay on twitter i guess what happens is that some of these companies like did we mention this on the podcast last week that an ibm or an apple some major advertiser out there no longer wants their ads to appear next to hate speech so they're just saying you know we we have to stop advertising on that platform y'all can use it but we're not going to advertise there anymore because there's some sort of guilt by association if i see a some awful thing, and then I see your ad, you know, it kind of transfers over, and IBM and Apple don't want anything to do with it. I think that that adjacency problem is overstated. I, I, I mean, it, it, what kind of reader is like reading a tweet from somebody and then goes and sees another sees an ad and goes, that ad must be related to that tweet. That's that's stupid. It's subliminal, Eric. I, I mean, that's how a lot of advertising I'm not going to buy an IBM <laughs> computer. You say that. You say that. And yet, when you come to make a decision and you're going to buy an IBM or Toshiba or whoever else is making a Sony or the product, and yet somehow or another lingering in the back and you can't put your finger on it, there's this little itch that you've got about company X, but company Y you don't have that feeling for. And the next thing you know, you didn't buy their product because of that. I can see just being off the platform as a social statement like i don't want to support this platform i don't want to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars i can see that um until they get their act together that that you know i don't belong to twitter i don't i don't pay money for a blue check so i'm not i don't know to the extent to which me reading twitter every day is supporting elon musk uh probably very very slightly so but i'm not spending my money on that and i can see where ibm might say look this this is a toxic environment in general Let's stay out of it. Let's encourage him with our little boycott. Make a social statement yeah. the way companies so, do sometimes. Yeah. So they have every right to do that, and, and good. Yeah. Good for them. And I, I, I only recently discovered that workaround, that even though I'm no longer on Twitter, I can read tweets. I can. Yeah. My, my son sent me a video of uh, oh Max Struess. Struess. So oh, Max Struess. Yeah. Struess had a dunk the other day that was really fun to watch. Grant sent me the tweet of it. And... Aren't you reading Eric's section every week of the best tweets? Tweet of the week. 
Uh, those, those are oh, come great. Come on, you're they are, I know, I know. Them. Okay, okay. Uh, that's uh, two. There, there's still another demonstration of how I've not completely divorced myself because I'm amazed at how good those tweets are. And I don't know how much time you spend getting them, but there's really good. There's some good stuff. There. Yeah, really. I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting ready to put together my best 40 tweets of the year, the ones that I've curated. <laughs> and, and that's always fun because those are those are really good. I, I did a stand-up, not a stand-up routine, but I did a, a, a speech at one point where I just read my favorite 40 tweets. And it went over huge. I mean, it they, did. They, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I prefaced it by saying, look, these are not mine. This is just stuff I find funny. So We steal them for sometimes our speed jokes good. that we do on Absolutely. my radio show sometimes. Love that. Okay, guys, Austin had to click out a little early. Kate, we so appreciate you uh, continuing to be part of the Mincing Rascals podcast. I hope you can continue to join us. It's so much fun. I should have said, I'm thankful for doing this lately. It's lots of fun. Good. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Brandon, you too, as always. Good to see you, my friend. Yeah. Good seeing you too, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to all you guys. Eric Zorn sitting right next to me. I'm John Williams. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. And we will drop another podcast on you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. 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 Take care. Have a good holiday. Yeah. If you ever want to come downtown and sit with me in the big studio here with the fancy microphone. It's so fun. It's unbelievable. One of these days. Well, yeah. If it's ever convenient for you and you you can make the pod that week, let us know. And we'll uh, we'll definitely make one for you. All right. Great. Thanks. Okay, gang. See you later then. See you. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com.